everyone, and happy Friday, and welcome to Minute 40 of Season 3 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is Duncan Shields of the Time Bandit Minute. Welcome back to the show, Duncan. Thank you for having me again. Uh, well, why not? Why not? Uh, you know, just uh, you might want to have a little bit of, of something, a bite to eat while you're, you're talking to, to all the hostages. So just, uh, you know, make yourself at home. Okay. <laughs> so minute 40 begins with a shoe flying across the corridor and encountering holiday ornaments and ends with Hans lovingly talking about Takagi. Yes. So... <laughs> So we ended yesterday's minute with, uh, you know, McLean trying on a pair of shoes that should have been too big for him, but in the end they were too small. Yes. You know, uh, any anyone out there who wants to agree or disagree with, with, with what Duncan and I said yesterday, feel free to let us know if you think that, you know, uh, McLean's feet should have been easily been able to fit into Tony's shoes. I have or not. A, a revolutionary theory here. Okay. McLean's sister is seven feet tall. Ah. So the shoes were, in fact, three sizes too big for McLean. Oh, wow. So they, they were useless to him, but they were still smaller than his sister's. <laughs> hey, that's that, great. That's, that works. That's, how, I, that's I, how I'm making it fit in my head. I, 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 I go, I'll go with you on that one. All right. So McLean is very frustrated and he kicks off the shoe and it hits some holiday decorations that are on the side. Now, did you notice that on the wall next to him, there's a big chart that says yeah. Raiders and Rams? Yeah. Yeah. And he's got this uh, 10 by 10 grid uh, with uh, Raiders, yeah. on the, Raiders on the X and Rams down the Y. Um, yeah. With a yeah. bunch of red and black notations on all the squares and some scribbles on the side. One date circled. The rest have notations. I, I, uh, I don't know what that means. Is that, is that I have absolutely no idea what that means because because the Raiders never play. The, you know, if they're going to play play each other, generally each team plays each uh, each other team once. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Know, during the season, so, I guess it's so, a chart. It's a chart of when they play each other, or just when they're playing at all to see if the dates overlap. Like for organizing, maybe maybe what's or, circled is the day that they actually play against each other on, on each of them. I mean, it's it's a little uh, too far to read everything that's there. But yeah, maybe yeah. all the others are slots where, you know, they're they're actually who they're playing. They're playing somebody else. Yeah, yeah. But there's also it's it's 10 by 10. And, the, you know, the, in, in football, you play 16 games. So yeah, I'm not so really sure what they're trying to show here. I don't know. Don't know. Don't know. But, but I, uh, I thought but it was I thought it was an interesting thing to have on the wall there. It's either for organizing attendance or for placing bets or something like that. I really want uh, somebody who's listening to get in touch and say, just tell us what this is. Cause it looks like the kind of thing that would be hanging on a lot of construction sites or a lot of people's rooms all the time, Yeah, you know, and, but it might be unique to Los Angeles because New York and Los Angeles are the only two cities that have at least two teams in all four major sports franchises. Right. Which, which makes sense because they're the largest and second largest cities and the two largest metropolitan metropolitan areas in New York. So the LA has, the Chargers and the Rams for football, the LA Kings and uh, the Mighty Ducks for hockey, even though they're Anaheim, it still counts. And uh, LA Dodgers and the LA Angels for baseball and the Clippers and the Lakers for basketball. 
So um, maybe that gets really confusing. So you need charts like this. Yeah, but the the irony is is that in 1988, when this is taking place, so the, both the Raiders and the Rams were still in L.A., but both of them moved out. You know, the Rams, oh, well. the Rams eventually went to St. Louis in in 1994, and uh -huh. the the Raiders moved to Oakland. Uh, they were they were in Oakland, and then they went to L.A., and then they moved back in 19. They both in 1994. So in 1994, they both moved out of L.A. I see. I see. So I well, wonder what team was was left. I'm I'm not that big of a football fan, so I couldn't tell you what. And the Raiders are now in Las Vegas. My, that shocked I, me. I'm pretty sure the football is the game with the pointy ball. <laughs> that I know. I know what that's, game it is. That's but, pretty uh, much the that's... beginning and ending of my uh, deep, deep football knowledge. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, they have Canadian football, don't they? Or is is the ball different? No, no, we have Canadian football. It's we got uh, the BC Lions here. Um, it's not. No, but it's, I said, is is it the same ball? It's the same ball. We have uh, soccer and we have football, ah, even though okay. soccer is called football in yeah. the literal rest of the world. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm I'm very familiar with that. My both yeah. of my sons are are big big soccer slash football fans, and they they uh -huh. love playing it. And I can't stand it. I think it's one of the most boring games in the world. But I can sit through a baseball game. So I don't I don't know. You know, it's like it's a different different strokes, right? I know. I remember apparently seeing, yeah. seeing a baseball game in person. Uh, with professionals is edgy your seat excitement watching it on television i will fall asleep in 30 seconds it's the same with golf it's the same with snooker it's the same with uh with soccer you know you see them in person it's an entirely different experience uh you watch them on tv like i never understood the big deal about soccer because i was like oh no it was one zero it was two one and i'm like this was a this was a scintillating game yeah. this was this or, was or even worse the end of the game was one one. Yeah, they tied. Okay. It's like, how can you tie? Uh, you know, even though, even though I think they now changed baseball that you can tie, but I don't know. But yeah. it's an interesting chart. Yeah. I'd like to know more about the chart and what it means. Yeah, but I mean, you have all your Canadian sports also. Yeah, you know, we got lacrosse. The, the official, the official sport of Canada, lacrosse. You know, the official sport of Canada isn't hockey; it's lacrosse, which is. Uh, I, I actually didn't even think it was hockey. I thought it was. Uh, what's the name with the with the brooms? What's oh, the one with the brooms. Curling, 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 curling. Yeah. Yeah. and uh, competitive poutine eating, I think, is another national sport that I, that I like to uh, partake in sometimes. Okay, I, I don't know, if, don't know what that is. It, it oh, actually uh, sounds sorry. a little, sounds a little racy. No, no, uh, poutine's a, a, a dish. Uh, it's a, it's a Quebecois French dish from from Quebec and uh, Montreal that Canada's kind of just uh, taken on as a national mm -hmm. dish, and so you can get. A little bit of a debate about that, but it's uh yeah, it's French fries, cheese curds, and oh, okay. and it's you have to prepare the prepare the fries specifically. And anyway, it's got it's not germane. Okay, to the no, but, it uh, doesn't have to be germane to the minute. It's it's germane to to Duncan uh, Shields, you know, a Canadian delicacy. <laughs> and if you if you are unaware of the existence of poutine, if you can find some in your area, seek it out and try it. Your life will be forever enriched. <laughs> Okay, great. So John then looks over and sees these various Christmas ornaments that include two Santa Clauses. Now, my, my biggest question is, is why are they storing this stuff here on the 32nd floor on Christmas Eve? You'd think that they would have already put it out somewhere. You, you know, it's it's not as if yeah. it's it's not as if you're just talking about, you know, having a little extra ribbons or something like that. You're talking about having a Santa Claus. So, you know, on Christmas Eve, you want it to be somewhere that people are going to see it. 
you know, what, what are they holding? You're keeping it for next year. I mean, it's not the, you know, this it's use it now or lose it. You know, that type of thing. Well, I think the company has a lot of money and they bought a tremendous amount of decorations and uh, they were behind schedule and they set up most of it, but there is still some kicking around. Apparently, apparently. That, I don't know. I don't know why it would be way up on the 32nd floor instead of like, I could see it being off the lobby in a closet or yeah. something, but I don't know what it's doing on the 32nd floor. <laughs> but maybe it's just for the workers. Like, gosh, I don't know. They could use a few Christmas lights and Santa Clauses. But, but know, the workers are actually not invited to the party. Usually you're coming to construction no. workers. Yeah, but they were working on that, uh, yeah. like, you know, yesterday, I assume. So I assume it's just um, Christmas shenanigans for people with families that are working on the building or not even people with families, just the workers themselves. Why? Get a little decoration going. Okay. That, that, that's possible. And, and then uh, we, we see that McLean looks over and starts smiling. And the, the thing I love about this is that when he looks over and starts smiling, the music changes a little bit and we, we get, it sounds yeah. like it's something that's coming from like a music box or something like that. You know, yeah, like yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's playful music. And he smiles. And as as he's smiling, you can see Tony, you know, still lying dead behind him, you know, in the shot. You well, see his face. And this is the problem, <laughs> right? He's got this trademark endearing half smile. Uh, like he's a little scamp. He's a little scamp. Yeah. And uh, but then he's going to literally dress up a corpse, yeah. <laughs> you know, so like I, the, you remember, did you ever get uh, the Body Worlds exhibit? Mm, yes, I believe coming so. through. I believe so. Yeah. So I went to see it in London and they had some uh, regionally specific displays set up. And one of the regionally specific displays that they had set up was this uh, skinless teen boy's body flying on a broom made of his own intestines while his skin flapped behind him like a cape. And he was wearing Harry Potter glasses. Now, like I, I love the exhibit, but I found that one to be in shockingly poor taste, you know, like uh, it's wild that that's where the line was for me. But I was like, you can have all these really interesting and well set up exhibits of literal dead bodies because it's very education. But once you make it topical and hilarious, like here's the Harry Potter literal dead body. I'm like, I don't like that. <laughs> I think I think you are too deep in this scene and you cross the line. Yeah. <laughs> like that's not I think so. So I find it a little macabre here that it's all good and jovial that he's dressing up a corpse for laughs. But I understand what the movie is, and, uh, and you yeah. know, but, uh, yeah, it's just something that occurs okay. to me. That, that, that's, that's fair. And then the, the shot changes, and we, we see the elevator switches, right? And what, what's great is you yeah. can actually see, first of all, he presses on 31 and then on 30, and then the, the door closes, and then the elevator moves a little bit, and then he stops it by flipping a switch, you know, that just turns it off. And at this point, we can actually see the plate that that above the the um, the, the elevator, right? The, the buttons, mm-hmm. and it says Nakatomi Plaza Executive Suite Express Elevator, high rise only. Yeah. And we can see that there are buttons for uh, twenty eight through thirty four and the lobby. Mm-hmm. Now this actually sheds so much light on something that happened in the second week, or maybe it was even the third week. Of the show where, okay. you know, the, the guard downstairs, which again, I'm going to mention that he is a, to me, he's always been a uh, John Larroquette doppelganger, you know, the, 
He sure, really sure. looks like him. So he basically says, oh, just take the express elevator and get off where you hear the noise. Now, I always thought of the of an, the idea of an express elevator is, is that it goes from one floor to another floor. But apparently now they've explained here by showing it to us that the express elevator is the elevator that goes to the floors 28 through 34. You know, which, yeah. which then it makes yeah. more sense yeah. about the fact that it won't. Yeah, it won't even stop at the, at the you know whatever one right. through uh one through 22 exactly whatever. one through 27. One yeah, through 27. yeah so then as yeah. the elevator stops so john then pries open the doors with his hands and then he has this long metal pull you know which i don't know if you noticed it but at the very beginning of this minute we saw those poles uh right below the poster of the raiders and rams Oh, no, yeah. I didn't notice that. Good continuity. Yeah, nice, nice. Say, uh, what is it? Chekhov's poll. You know. Chekhov's poll, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, th there were actually a bunch of them there. There's not just one. And well, I'm trying to figure out what he's opening. Like, and, and where does he have this knowledge to be able to? There must be some latch or something like that that, that unlocks the elevator yeah. from the inside. Okay, but, but where does John McClane know to do this? Well, this is what I, uh, this whole sequence here, it, it, it feels unnecessarily complicated. Like, couldn't he just press L and then dash out before the doors close? Like, I don't know, maybe I'm missing Well, his something. wife is I, there. I, it's good he doesn't want to, he wants to save his wife. It's good TV, as they say, and it makes uh, McLean look like MacGyver, but I don't know, um, uh, yeah, why he doesn't just, like, press L for the lobby and then hop out before the doors close and then uh, and then the body goes down. Uh, where he wants it to go this this whole thing of getting it between 32 and 33 stopping it between floors on you know like doing these weird macgyver switches which is like i guess you used to build elevators yeah. like why why do you know exactly this? you know like it's it's like you said i i, I don't uh i don't understand the right. sequence or why it's in the film except to make mclean look like macgyver yeah. that he's uh you know jury rigging something because this is how you know innovative and smart and resourceful he is Right. And we see that he has a screwdriver in his hand and he, he then uses the pull to unlock some sort of mechanism in the elevator shaft. And after he does that, he's able to pry open the, the outer door because, you know, the, you have the inner door of the uh, elevator itself. And then the outer door that, that takes you onto the, the, the floor that you want to go to. So he has to open two doors there. And then he, he slides the metal pole out of the elevator across the, the floor and then he takes that screwdriver that he has and jams it, you know, in in the door so that it doesn't, uh, you know, so that it will continue to, to, to keep the door open. Right. You can tell that he has a it's a flathead screwdriver. And then he, you know, once again, uses his his upper body strength here and lifts himself out of the elevator. Yeah. You know, gets on his stomach, you know, in order to you know, turn around and reach in and flip the switch of the elevator in order for it to continue to begin to, to start moving again. And that's all we see of, of, of McLean here. And then the shot changes and we see Hans in the communal area, you know, where, where all the hostages are being held. And first of all, he has a plate of food that he's holding and he's eating. Oh, I never classic. noticed this. I never uh, noticed this before. It's, it's the classic. It's the classic. You got to be eating an apple as the cool, calm, collected bad guy. Right. If you're if you're eating while you're dressing down a room of people or a subordinate, 
then you have all the power. It's a, it's right. a scene that happens in, in every movie. Right. I mean, it looks like he's eating some some fancy dish. You know, maybe it's sushi or, or yeah. some uh, hors d'oeuvres or something. Hors d'oeuvres or something like that. Exactly. But uh, it's great. And and then Hans begins giving a little bit of a speech, and he says, "I wanted this to be professional, efficient, adult, cooperative. Not a lot to ask. Alas, your Mister Takagi did not see it that way." So he won't be. And then we get uh, cut off. And we get like one of the I'm missing out on one of the best lines in the film. <laughs> <laughs> you'll you'll uh, have to come back on Monday with everybody to listen to what that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great it's a great line. One yeah, of the it's best. A, it's a great line. But he's, yeah, he's he's throwing out real disappointed dad energy here, really. I'm not angry, just disappointed. You know, like I wanted this to be professional. I expected better of you hostages, you know, but uh yeah. He's, he's not getting that. It works. It works. The one thing I want to talk about uh, just really briefly is I want to touch on this movie that I found from 1959 called The Crimson Kimono. Uh, okay. it, st- it stars James Shigeta, who played Mr. Takagi. It's a great film about a couple of best friend Korean war veterans, uh, a white guy named Glenn Corbett and James Shigeta, who are now police officers in San Francisco. And while tracking down the killer of a burlesque dancer named Sugar Torch, they both fall in love with the star witness played by Victoria Shaw. It was way ahead of its time. Uh, depicting interracial romance uh, with all the levels that can go with that. The movie has kendo, Buddhism, karate, different kinds of Asian people who aren't just, you know, quote unquote, Asians, like all the films of that time, and a very mature introspection about fitting in and how insidious racism can be. And uh, it's from 1959, and, you know, which is typical of Samuel Fuller, but it's way ahead of its time because like... What's it called again? The Crimson Kimono. But I spent the whole film wondering where I'd seen the lead actor before. And then I looked him up and I was like, oh, my gosh, it's Mr. Tagagi. It's it's the guy from Die Hard, you know, because he's like, you know, 25 or something or, or 30 in uh, in this in this movie from uh, from 1959. Oh, wow. But then, uh, yeah, so he's this dashing, uh, dashing young American cop in the Crimson Kimono. And then he ended up playing uh, Mr. Takagi way, way, way later in Die Hard. So I, I highly recommend if you can track it down. It's a, it's a, a very mature and really well done film. And it's great oh, wow. to see him as a, as a young man acting his, uh, acting his heart out in a, in a great film. Cool. That's great. So the, the script has a, a few little minor discrepancies here. First of all, uh, you know, when, when uh, we ended yesterday's minute with, with uh, McLean taking off the shoes, and it says that he's tossing them, and the the continuation of that line is he tosses them into the garbage, right? And it right. says, and then because in the movie he just throws it and it hits, you know, the the different decorations. But in the right. script, it, he takes them and throws them in the garbage. Then he pulls the pulls the body up and sets it down on his secretary's chair. He starts to push it along when he hits the idea and moves to a desk where he scribbles a note we cannot read on a piece of paper. Then his eyes fall on some Christmas decorations nearby. He smiles to himself. So what's great is his his idea was first to to write a note to Hans, right. you yeah. know, and, and hook it to the body until he realized that oh, why don't I do something a little more innovative? Innovate. <laughs> and then it says uh, a tight on McLean's back as he pushes Tony's bottle on a swivel chair into the elevator. Note: We cannot see Tony's head. I don't know why they have to have that uh, direction in there. Yeah. Camera adjusts as McLean pushes the buttons for the 34th and 30th floors. We notice he's got the dead man's machine gun and that a wooden desk ruler 
protrudes from McLean's back pocket. Ah, I guess that's what he used instead of the screwdriver? That's right. The elevator doors close and the car starts down. After it's dropped only half a floor, McLean forces the doors open with his fingers, stopping the car between floors. Using the ruler, he blocks open the inside doors, then opens the outside doors of the floor above with his fingers and pulls himself up onto the carpeted floor. I keep thinking of like the elevator minora and the elevator majora, you know, like yeah. you've got these, this, <laughs> this double seal. It cuts into the the story. It says in the hostage room, yeah. the hostages have been gathered together in a group in the center of the open floor, guards flanking them. The elevators are barely visible from the edge of the group, which is where Jeannie and Holly are sitting. Ginny winces, uncomfortable on the floor. Holly soothes her. Hans stands in front of them like a stern camp counselor in front of the assembled bunk. Stern camp counselor. Nice, yeah. nice, and Then nice. it says, I wanted this to be a professional, efficient, adult, cooperative. Not a lot to ask. Alas, your Mr. Takagi did not see it that way. So he won't be. And then it gets cut off. So, again, they, they do it nicely. You know, the I, I think that, that yeah. the way that, I it, guess maybe, that it works in the final cut is the, better. Yeah, and I think because it was a functioning office, rulers were lying around, but because it's a construction site, that changed to screwdriver because that's lying around. Yeah, but I, I think it's better to use the I, – I, I think it, visually it's better to use a screwdriver because a screwdriver can really hold yeah. it. I, a ruler, Yeah. I, I don't know. It, there's no angle I guess, on yeah, it. I don't see how that would work. Yeah, it would. It would. It's not a wedge. It would just uh, slide over it. I don't know. I like the idea of the uh, of the screwdriver. Too. Yeah, it works a lot I better. I think so too. And aside, if I haven't mentioned it, is that the the, the Hungarian title for Die Hard was uh, "Give Your Life Expensive." And oh wow. The title of the title of the sequel was "Your Life Is Even More Expensive," and the third part is uh, "Life Is Always Expensive." So I think there's um, I I can see it being like a sort of a uh, you know, translate to the language and then translate it back to English kind of, uh, kind of mismatch, you know, game of telephone or whatever, uh, as a, as a, as a translation of die hard, but I like the literalness of it. Like just give your life expensive. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I loved also the way that they, they translate things back and forth, you know, uh, you know, when, so, I mean, for me, because, you know, I live in Israel, so all movies, you know, have their own Hebrew title also. And actually, the Hebrew title for Die Hard is it, it's Met Lichyot, which which means dying to live. Oh, that's great. Okay. Yeah. And like the second one is Met Lichyot Shtaim. It's the, you know, dying to live two and three and four. I, I mean, I'm sure if I'm, I, I'd have to go look it up to see if they have different names for all of them. But it always starts with dying to live. And yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. No, I think that's great. That's a, a great way to do that. Is it the same? Is it does it have the same um, like subtext as English? Like you know, like oh, I'm I'm dying to get into that exclusive party. Uh, so it's not a it was the same thing. Like oh, I'm just dying to live. Or, yeah, or is, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. that same okay. same type of, type of context. Yeah, for great sure. wordplay, wonderful wordplay, love it. Yeah, for sure. All right, so every Friday we have a yeah. special surprise segment that uh, that my guests don't know about. Okay, I, I call it weekend surprise. Okay. Where basically there, there's much debate over Die Hard as to whether it is considered a Christmas movie or not. So, Duncan, yeah. do you think that it is a Christmas movie or do you think it is not a Christmas movie? And please be uh, – please explain your answer in depth. <laughs> 
I just think that it is a Christmas movie because it takes place at Christmas and because some of the central plot points involve Christmas. Like that's why he's in town. Uh, this moment coming up, the, 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 you know, the now I have a machine gun or whatever, that the moment that's coming up is Christmas based. There's like, there's a lot of Christmas based stuff that happens in the movie. It's not, it's not the core of the film. It's not a giant Norman Rockwell painting. It's not all about Christmas. There are moments that tie it to the holiday. It's not just window dressing. So I would I would call it a, a an unorthodox Christmas movie, but a Christmas movie nonetheless. Okay, great. So do you want to one last time tell people uh, where they can find Duncan Shields? Just Google Time Bandits Minute. Go to Tronologically Speaking. The same thing. I've got a we've got Twitter. We've got a website. Um, uh, or go to Anchor. All your podcatchers. All that kind of stuff. And uh, or go to BuyDuncanShields.com or, or look up Buy Duncan Shields on Twitter and Instagram. And um, you know, uh, fun times await. All right, excellent. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find my website MovieRobMinute.com. You can find me on Twitter. And you can find me on Facebook. So, Duncan, thank you very much for joining us this week. This was a lot of fun. I, I found it to be uh, quite eye-opening, uh, even with a broken neck. And uh, <laughs> it's it's always fun talking to you. Always fun uh, hearing your thoughts on on the the, the various movies that that, that I decide to, uh, to to talk about. So, thank you for yeah. taking the time wow. to uh, to to spend with us this entire week. Excellent. And uh, I'm always down, always down to talk to you. Good, it was good talking to you. So. All right. I appreciate that. And uh, I will see everybody on uh, Monday when we have a, a new guest and we'll have uh, even more to talk about, about Die Hard. So until Monday, yippee-ki-yay. Yippee-ki-yay. 